So who were those wise guys anyway? We have some very interesting Christmas traditions that have arisen over the years. Some of us, I think, have what I call a uh, Sunday school level faith, and that's what you learn as a child. You hear a story, and I love what the ladies did up here, but where there are three wise men, does the Bible say that? Aha. Uh-huh. But we couldn't fit more than three on the table, so it's okay. Just want you to know that. As a matter of fact, if we put as many as there probably were, they'd be all over the room. And um, so, but sometimes Christian, Christmas traditions can be benign. They can be just things that we've done, kind of fun things that we do. Sometimes traditions can get in the way of real faith. And as I've done research over the years, and I've looked at the real history of what's going on with Uh, the story, the Christmas story, the real story is much more amazing and much more fascinating than the traditions that we come up with. I mean, Santa Claus is nothing compared to the real story. Is it true? Okay. Because I know who really knows when you've been sleeping and knows when you've been awake and knows whether you've been bad or good. I saw that on the ophthalmologist sign driving up on 91 today. He knows if you've been sleeping or I said, yep, I know who that is. It's not Santa. But uh, when those traditions, when our traditions really become based in reality and based in faith, they can be a real strength to us in really understanding what God has done for us. And one of the most widely accepted traditions of all times is the story of the wise men, the three wise men that were not really three. So what does the Bible say about these men? Were they wise men? Were they really wise men, wiser than other people? Were they kings or wizards or astrologers? Do we know their names? There's one uh, tradition about a thousand years after, uh, well, actually about 600 years after Christ that puts names to the men that showed up to uh, visit the baby Jesus. Were they there on the, at the same time that the uh, shepherds were there? Do you know the answer to that? They actually come almost two years later. We don't know exactly when, but we know it was probably about two years. And they don't visit Jesus in the manger. Sorry, again, we have the manger scene. We put it all together. But they probably visited uh, Joseph and Mary at the carpenter shop in their home. And uh, it was a totally uh, different story. But we kind of compress all that together. One of the big questions is, how were these guys able to discern that Jesus had been born by looking at the stars? What did they see in the heavens that convinced them? Were these good men? Were they evil men? Were they uh, people that God uh, included in the inner circle for some reason? And how did they know the importance of Jesus' birth when the people that were living right there, like Herod and many of the religious leaders of the day, they missed it. These people came from uh, probably over 1,500 miles on a, on a camel caravan to get there, and that's a long way back then. Think about that. So how did this whole thing happen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to open our hearts this morning. Father, as we look at a Christmas tradition today, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand more about what you were really doing in that moment. And more importantly than that, what it means to us today, how that makes a difference to who we are today and what we can learn from this story. And and in this Christmas season, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to get caught up in the traditions of men, but instead to be caught up in your word and to really understand what you're saying and what your heart is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in most cases, uh, the story that we heard about the three magi from our Sunday school days really does not line up with Scripture at all. What would you say if I told you that one of the greatest men in Bible history was called out of the land of the Magi? Do you know who that is? Abraham. Abraham. He was called out of the land of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans was another name for the Magi. That land was so marked by these wise men that that was the name that was given, the land of the Chaldeans. Abraham was called out of Ur way back in the 12th Uh, chapter of Genesis, probably about 2000, 2100 BC. That was a long time ago. The Chaldeans were the first uh, iteration of the wise men that we see in the Bible. What would I tell you if one of the uh, best and earliest messianic prophecies came from one of of the Magi? He is referred to as a Magos in the Bible, and the historians in the first century and later write about him as one of the Magi. Do you know who I'm talking about? This is also, I'll give you a clue, it's way back in Genesis. Balaam. Aha. I thought about that. First century Jewish theologian Philo refers to Balaam as a magos, one of the magi, who, like Matthew's magi, come from the east. And Philo records that Balaam originally was a pretty bad guy. He was a greedy guy, and he was kind of a prophet for hire. Uh, But the Lord used him. And we know one of the greatest uh, prophecies, and I'll read it a little bit later, is about what we call the Christmas star. He talks about a star arising in Judah and uh, about God uh, giving Israel favor. So what would you say if one of the chief of the Magi was probably one of our greatest Bible prophets? Who was that? Anybody know who that is? Daniel was appointed the chief of the Magi. God gets an insider guy into the Magi, and I have a feeling that has more to do with them showing up to see Jesus than we know because these guys wrote down everything that was prophesied. They recorded everything Daniel said. Don't you love what God does? God places this amazing man of God in the middle of this pagan system, and Daniel ends up shaping this whole generation and the story about what God is going to do in the nations to come and how he's going to bring his son all becomes part of their written book. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, because this is the one gospel that records the story of the wise men. It said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone... 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So as you can see, unfortunately, Christmas in the original, the original presentation here, there were some dark moments there. Uh, there's a spiritual battle going on, so much so that in the book of Revelation, it says the dragon, it gives us a picture of the birth of Christ, and it said the dragon was there doing all he can, the dragon meaning Satan, to destroy this child who has come to bring the hope to Israel and the hope to all the world. Well, many years ago, I heard a friend teach about the wise men, and it made me start thinking, and I started doing research and, and looking into who these guys were, and there's a lot more out there now than there was uh, years ago when I started doing this. But I thought for years that the traditions I believe were the way that it really happened. I never even thought were there three wise men. And then I read the scriptures and I thought, how much more is in there that I've put in my mind that really was not in the Bible in the first place? Second Peter 1.6 says, we do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So it's important for us not to follow the stories that men and women invent, but we need to follow after what is really in the scripture. And uh, what I discovered is the story of the Magi had kind of taken on a life of its own. There are even a cartoon series and all these other things that are part of that, books that have been written, and uh, most of them are not based on scripture at all. So what's truth and what's myth? Who were they and what were they from? All indications are that they were from Persia what is now Iran. Uh, Herodotus, the ancient historian, links them with the Medes and the Persians. And probably in the time of Herod, in the time when Jesus was born, uh, they were part of a uh, Parthian dynasty. Remember, the Parthians are one of the groups that are there on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Parthians, by the way, were one group of people that the Romans could never conquer. It really bothered the Romans a lot that they could not conquer the Parthians. They got that far uh, over to Babylon, and they could never go beyond that. And uh, it bothered some of the Roman emperors because Alexander had done it, and they wanted to conquer all the way to India. Just that thing about the Romans. They wanted to take over the whole world. So the Parthians were the ones in control when the Magi come uh, from the east. Another name that's used interchangeably with the Magi in the Old Testament is the Chaldeans or the Chaldeans. And it, it, there's an indication here that these magi could have gone all the way back to the first Babylonian empire. That is about 2700 BC. So we're talking uh, 5,000, almost 6,000 years ago that this tradition began. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, in, the, in the time that they came to visit Jesus, they, they had developed a monotheistic religion. Uh, it was based on a man, a Zoroaster, uh, out of Persia, and he was a monotheist. Uh, they didn't worship idols, but fire represented their god, this unknown god. And they said that they chose fire because fire couldn't be made into an image. Fire was always changing and moving. So in a way, they were kind of open to one true God, but they didn't know who he was. So you can see how the, if the Magi believed that, they would have been open to the story. 
Diodorus of Sicily says this about the Magi. He says, being assigned to the service of the gods, they spend their entire life in study. Their greatest renown being in the field of astrology. But they occupy themselves largely with soothsaying, in other words, giving prophecies, as well as making predictions about future events. And in some cases, by purifications and others by sacrifices and others by charms, they attempt to avert the evil of things that can happen and they seek the fulfillment of good. They are also skilled in soothsaying by the flight of birds, and they give out interpretations of dreams and portents. They show marketability in making divinations from the observations of the entrails of animals. So these were pagan people, but in some ways, they had never had a chance to hear about the truth of God. So when Daniel came to that part of the country and became part of them, he opened a whole door for them. They served as advisors to the kings in a number of kingdoms in Babylon, in Persia, Medea, Macedonia, Parthia, uh, probably even Egypt. There's evidence that the, the Magi were part of the courts of these uh, great rulers. So when the Magi show up, what did it mean? It meant that they were about to crown a king, that they were about to do something. They were known uh, in ancient times as kingmakers. So can you get a little bit idea about Herod might have been a little bit nervous with these guys showing up? And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Herod had a lot of reasons to be afraid of these guys. And, and I'll tell you more. So as advisors, they were also, they, were, they kind of brought science and magic together. They were the scientists of their days. They scientifically recorded the dreams of great leaders and then quantified what happened and put them together in a big dream book. And they came up with it as close as they could get to science with a predictable, if this happens, if they see this image, then that's actually going to happen, okay? They served as doctors and priests of their day. They interpreted prophecies and dreams. And you remember in Nebuchadnezzar's day, they couldn't get it right. They couldn't get the dream. And that's when Daniel rises to prominence because uh, he is able to interpret for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty smart guy, by the way. Uh, you know, he said, all right, if you guys are for real, tell me what I dreamed. And uh, he separated the real from the fake very quickly there. And that's how Daniel rose up. Again, God's amazing plan to do that. The support of the Magi uh, was pretty amazing, if you could get their support as a ruler. Uh, in a very real way, they supported and endorsed governments. Uh, they wrote a book. They had a book called the Enuma, Anu, and Lil. And uh, this, actually, this book was found by archaeologists in Nineveh. Uh, which is near Mosul today in uh, northern Iraq. The authors were Chaldeans, and they left tablets talking about the movements of the planets and disclosed the fate of mankind and also about coming rulers and kings. So uh, there were even written things that they recorded uh, that were there, and I believe that's in a uh, museum in Europe. They have a copy of that uh, particular book. The 6th century tradition gives them names, Melchior, Melion, king of Persia, Gaspar, king of India, and Belshazzar, king of Arabia. But there's really very little historical evidence to back that up. One of the traditions says that one of the wise men is from China. That we don't know. We do know that the trade routes, uh, the caravan routes started in China and India and went all the way to Britain. Can you imagine that? As I studied this, I, I'm just blown away. Some of the caravans had as many as 20,000 camels or more. Do you hear what I just said? 
I mean, these are like the, we have trains today, and I'm thinking about how much is on this train going by. These were camel trains that went through the desert, and they had way stations where they would uh, actually switch. They were almost like our modern warehouses, and stations today were, you know, intermodal transport, where you load from one animal, one camel to another, and then they go back to their country. It was a very sophisticated thing. So we're not sure where all these people came from, but chances are they were, probably all of them were from Persia. One other interesting thing, uh, as I was reading about these guys, I read a great history of Alexander the Great a number of years ago, and I was fascinated because uh, when Alexander is heading east from Macedon, from Greece, and he gets to the city of Babylon, he's greeted by the Magi. They're waiting for him. They knew he was coming. How did they know he was coming? Well, remember, not too many years before that, about 100 years before, the chief of the Magi talked about four coming kings and kingdoms, talked about a great king that would come from Greece. Remember, the prince of Persia was fighting against the prince of Greece at that time. They knew that the next, from Daniel's prophecies, these were part of their book, they knew that Alexander was going to be coming. How they knew that particular day, I don't know, but they told Alexander, if you're going to enter the city of Babylon, you need to go around and come in from the east, and they gave him all these instructions. Well, Alexander enters the city. He's treated like a king. Uh, He gives all this money to the wise men, the Chaldeans, the speaker of the Magi, to rebuild this, the ancient temples, probably the Temple of Bel, which many believe is where the um, Tower of Babel was. So he gives them all this money to rebuild, and then he goes to India. About eight years later, he's on the way back, and he probably thinking, I really had a good time in Babylon. I'm heading back there. Those people honored me. He got there, and the Magi were waiting for him on the way back. They told him, if you enter the city this time, you will die. You are not to enter the city. And Alexander became so angry with them, he went into the city anyway, and within a week he died. As many of you know, he died, I think it was at age 31, wasn't it, that that the age? And uh, here's this great ruler, and the Magi are involved in that. So you can understand in ancient times, if you're a king or a ruler, if the Magi show up, it generally means something pretty crazy is going to happen. And he's been involved, these Magi have been involved in the lives of all these great kings. Nebuchadnezzar, the pharaohs of Egypt, uh, the Babylonian empires, uh, all these different, and, and, and all of a sudden, here come these magi, and they're talking about a king in Judea. They're talking about a king in Israel, which, by the way, was a country under occupation. They already had another king named Caesar. That's right. So this could create some uh, real problems. So let me give you some other clues why Herod might have been upset about the magi coming. First of all, uh, we're not sure about how many people made up that group of the Magi. I think they think three because there were three gifts. But the Bible never says how many. Uh, The first time we find the number three is about 250 years after Jesus died. That's where that tradition starts. Tertullian and Gregory speak of three wise men, but they have no historical reason for doing that. Uh, There were three gifts. That's probably the best reason that we think that. But let me tell you a little bit more about Herod. How many of you know about King Herod? We all studied King Herod, right? I knew you would raise your hand. Very few of us know. Herod, first of all, was not, he was not Jewish. He was a general under Julius Caesar in the wars. And guess who they fought in the wars where Herod became a great general? The Parthians. 
So the Parthians and the Magi had been enemies of Herod for a long time. Herod does so well as a general under Julius Caesar that Caesar says, I'm going to give you the whole land of Judea. I'm going to make you king over this region, and we want you to bring stability. For that to happen, Herod had to kick out the Parthians who were there, the very people who come as the Magi, and he, cl he cleansed that area out. They were so, they hated him so much that when Herod was up for this uh, job with Julius Caesar, there was one other person that Caesar was considering for the job. He hired a Parthian hit squad to take Herod out. So you can imagine, Herod is not happy to see the Magi. There's a lot of history here in this whole thing. Let me read this. This is from um, BibleStudy.org. It says, the Magi were high-level Parthian priests and very influential members of one of Parthia's two assemblies, which were elected the empire's monarchs and helped rule the empire. So not only are they wise men, but they've been made a part of the government. So they are coming almost as ambassadors from this hostile government that Rome has never conquered. It says in, in 247 BC, it rivaled uh, the Roman Empire at the time of Christ. In fact, the Parthians dealt the Romans one of their worst defeats in history when half of Rome's 40,000-man army was killed and half of those who remained alive were captured at the Battle of Carhae in 53 BC. Herod was a soldier in that battle. The absence on Herod's part of revenge against the Parthians, whom he felt mocked him, attests to their status and power. Herod was known for his temper and was not afraid to use violence against those who disrespected him. But instead of attacking the wise men, he directs his rage against innocent and defenseless children. Herod was a very cruel man. According to the historian Josephus, just before Herod became the king of Judea, his rival Antigonus offered the Parthians a very large sum of money to kill him, to take him out. Things don't change, do they? Herod was so afraid of them that he fled Jerusalem under the cover of the night. And this is out of Josephus Antiqu Antiquities, book 14. No doubt Herod had reasons to fear the Magi. We don't know this part of the story, but now it's making it a little bit more interesting when you think about what was happening in Jesus' day. So Herod did not want to risk incurring the wrath of Rome. He didn't want to look weak in this situation, but he had a problem. These Parthians, in a, in a way, had diplomatic immunity. He couldn't just come out and arrest them or take them out. He had to use their information, and he was in a very, very tight place. He knew that something was going on. Because Herod wasn't Jewish, he had no clue about the prophecies. He asked to ask the priests, so where is, is there supposed to be a king? Is there a prophecy about this? Well, how many of you remember, again, the prophecy of Daniel talking about the weeks? And if you figure out the number of days in the lunar calendar, and uh, I won't take time to do that, or we'll be here for two hours, but it's in uh, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict and a couple other books. He has all the math and it's graphically laid out. If you look at that thing, it, it gives you almost to the day when Jesus is going to be born. It's one of the most precise prophecies. If you've never looked at it, uh, I can give you, email me, and I'll give you the information on where to find it. But a lot of people in Israel were waiting for Messiah to be born. They knew that he was coming. A lot of people in the East that were familiar with the writings of Daniel and others, the Magi would have had this prophecy from Daniel. They had all this at their fingertips, from the writings of Balaam, from all these things that had been recorded. There was indication that there was going to be a new king that was going to be born in Israel. 
Another clue as to why Herod may have been disturbed. We have this picture of three guys kind of wandering through the desert with their camels. People rarely traveled great distances in the Middle East alone. And if these were wealthy men, they probably came with an armed contingent of Parthian soldiers. Typical caravan could have had 150 camels and up to 400 people. And that's a sub-caravan that was part of a bigger caravan that broke off and came down into Judea, probably off the spice route. These men were important personages in their own country, meaning they had servants. They probably all had a number of servants. They traveled first class. They brought everything they needed with them, including food, cargo, and everything else. So you can imagine with burden bearers, soldiers, and everything else, we don't just have three guys coming into a city. We have an armed contingency of hundreds of people. That's why all of Jerusalem was disturbed. They were wondering, are we going to be invaded? Stephen Collins in his book, The Lost Ten Tribes of Israel Found, says this, because of who they were and what they carried, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very expensive stuff, and the distance of their travel, the Magi came to Judea with a fairly large caravan. This caravan included servants, cooks, and so on, plus an armed escort of perhaps a few hundred Parthian soldiers. The entourage was so huge that when they first entered Jerusalem looking for the Christ, they greatly alarmed the king and the entire city. Matthew 2, verse 3 talks about that. It would have been suicide for Herod to even try to uh, arrest them because it would have started an international incident. It would have started a war. So what does the Bible tell us about the Magi? Well, the Magi come up, as I said, in a number of biblical stories. Uh, also, how many of you remember in Acts 8, Simon Magus? He was a Magi. That was his name. He was one of the Magi. Elamus the sorcerer in Acts chapter 13. These people were everywhere. Some of them were for hire, and they were kind of off on their own. Uh, one of the books is actually written in our Bible, who was chief over all the wise men. I already told you that's Daniel. Daniel 2:48. It says, The king made Daniel a great man, gave him a great many gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief of the governors over all the wise men, over all the Magos, or the Magi, or the uh, Chaldean group of wise men. So God places Daniel as a prophet and a key witness at a key moment in history because I think he wanted all the nations to know. Think about how many nations got a witness of what Daniel said because God placed him in that place at that time. This kind of separated Daniel from the rest of the Magi, by the way, when he started operating in the supernatural because they had obviously ungodly sources. Daniel brings a new level of power and revelation, obviously, that the Magi had never had. Daniel would have been considered one of the greatest magi. Wouldn't it be like God to prepare the hearts of all these people? And I've got to tell you, uh, it's not too long after Daniel that Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, gives the command to rebuild the temple. I believe that God has a love for the Iranian people. And I'm not just saying that because we have some precious Iranians in our congregation. But there's a love for them. They have always, there's been a love and a uh, blessing with Israel, if you think about that. Do we understand that God didn't just want the people of Israel to know about Messiah? He wanted all the nations to know. This created such a stir, not just in Jerusalem, but think about in their home country. 
Think about when these guys left and when they came back with the stories of uh, this new savior, this new king of kings that they had met in Jerusalem. It, all of the Middle East was stirring uh, because of what these guys did. And I think this was engineered by God. I think it's uh, important for us to understand today the, the fastest growing church right now in the world is in Iran. If you didn't see what I posted on our Facebook page about a week ago, uh, the number of people being baptized in Af Western Afghanistan and Iran, uh, it is stunning. And people are leaving Islam at a rate. Funny, most Christians, because we listen to the mainstream news, we think we're losing all the time. Don't listen to them. God has better news. There's stuff going on. Okay, I'm going to get off on a little tangent here. Can I step over here? This is my tangent area. New York Times can be a great news source at times, but they, they have a saying, all the news that's fit to print. Okay, so what's the first problem? Oh, just a bunch of Christians out in the desert, no big thing. No, don't look there, not a big deal. Okay, I remember, off in the tangent here, I remember when we got together over 400 pastors in Akron, black and white, and uh, we had uh, all these people come together and the Beacon Journal wouldn't even send a reporter out to look at what was happening. So can I tell you something here? There is so much good news happening in the world today. I'm going to help you as your pastor. I will be putting good news sources. And some of those good news sources are being disparaged right now as bad news sources. And I've got to tell you, I always look at the primary source data. And that's why I love getting into the story, because there's more than just three guys showing up with gifts. There's something that's powerful that God is doing. He is a world-shaking God. And what he's doing here is shaking the destiny of nations. How did the wise men find Jesus? Some say they read prophecies and looked for signs in the stars. Can I tell you that stars don't move like it says in the book? But I'll tell you what does move like that is the glory of God. The word for star, by the way, can be translated several different ways. One of them is the shining, the glory. Very interesting, isn't it? I believe when they looked from the east, they saw the glory of God being revealed. Let me just throw a little theory out to you. Imagine if a million angels started singing to a bunch of shepherds and the glory of God appeared and the light lit up the sky in a world that never had lights like that. And a bunch of guys in the east saw this flash and this light revealed. Could it be? I haven't had many visions, but many years ago on Christmas, I don't know what it is about Christmas. God just opens my heart. It's almost like there's an open heaven. When I had the vision of God's glory and I saw the angels and they weren't just a small chorus like we would see in a church. I'm talking about millions upon millions. And they were in, it was like a ascending up into heaven. The Lord said, this is what Jacob saw. He didn't see a ladder. We used to say, climb up Jacob's ladder as a kid. You know, here's a Sunday school theology. I'm climbing up this ladder. Here's this incredible spiral staircase with millions of angels giving glory to God. It was so overwhelming when the Lord showed me that in his glory and the light was brilliant and there were all these different colors. There was purple and there was gold and just all these brilliant colors and it was just an astounding thing. I think that was 1988 when I had that vision uh, in Christmas. But I've got to tell you something. If you've ever been, how many of you have ever been in a place 
where there is no traffic, no electric, no lights. I was hiking down on the border of New Mexico and Mexico many years ago. It was one of the greatest places because I couldn't hear any highway noise. I sat there for a half hour and I started hearing insects moving. I had never been in quiet like that in my life. And when the light goes out at night, if the, if the stars aren't out and the moon isn't out, you're in the dark like you've never been in the dark. You can't see any city lights. If the stars are out, you see stars like you've never seen before. But imagine the glory of God appearing over the Lord Jesus Christ and imagine how that lit up the sky and how that happened. Just a theory. I don't know if that's what it was. But I, I, I don't think it was a star that moved. I think it was the glory of God that they followed. And that's how they found uh, the child. It's very interesting that one of the first prophecies the Magi would have had was from Balaam's prophecy. Let me read that, and I'm going to close here in a moment. Numbers chapter 24, it says, verse 15, Then he uttered this oracle, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, and who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are opened. Tells you a little bit about what's going on with Balaam. If you read the verses right before this, it says that Balaam did not turn to his normal sorcery, but instead... He just turned. He knew that God was there. There was nothing he could do. So he let God use him to bless the people of Israel. He says this in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise out of Israel. And he will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. And he's talking about the enemies of God in this situation. But a star will come out of Jacob. Isn't that interesting? It was one of the magi that gave that. Well, these magi, however many there were, brought gifts fit for a king. Now, God had knowledge. He knew that his son would live in Egypt. Joseph was a very poor carpenter. All of a sudden, a group of people show up and give them enough wealth to live on, probably for many years, more than just the 10 years that they were in Egypt. Think about that. At just the perfect moment, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, each of the gifts has significance, each of the gifts was an amazing provision for the family. It wasn't just something to put on the shelf. They probably lived on that gold for the next however many years so they were able to come back to Israel. So what can we learn from this? First thing is the Christmas that we talk about that we really have in the Word has very little to do with the commercial Christmas and even sometimes, unfortunately, some of the Sunday school Christmas things that we've gotten as kids. I think the message in the Bible is infinitely more interesting. It's infinitely more amazing. The other thing that I want you to see is this story is rooted in history. That everything that happened in the time of Jesus, there was a deep revelation of God, not just in the nation of Israel, but in all these other nations in preparing for the coming of his son. I believe God orchestrated that and put it together. The other thing I want you to see is there were a lot of people in Jesus' day that were right there only miles from him. Some were next door neighbors. They didn't see the glory of God. They didn't see any star. They didn't know there was a king down the street. 
They didn't know God was doing something supernatural right in their midst. And yet people 1,600 miles away see the glory of God, find out what's going on. Why is it that God reveals himself to the Magi? Why is it that the Lord reveals himself to the shepherds and the kings in Israel? Herod, all the rulers, all of the high priests miss the whole thing. Can I tell you that it's the same today? God reveals himself to those whose hearts are open to him. You can be doing a miracle right there where you are and people with hearts of unbelief because of the blindness of their heart won't be able to see what's happening. Think about that. It's true all the way through scripture. It happens again and again. God's story is not rooted in mythology. It's rooted in history. The third thing I want you to see is that God's timing is perfect. He not only works in the life of one person, but he works in the life of all these people at the same time. I believe God loved all the nations all around there, and he still does. When I pray for Israel, I pray for all the nations in the Middle East, because if, they, if anybody needs the gospel right now, it's them. Isn't it true? I want to see revival in Jordan. I want to see revival. And I love the uh, prophecy that talks about there being a highway when the Lord returns between Egypt, Assyria, and Israel so that the people can come and worship. God has a heart for all the nations. And that's what the story of the Magi is all about to me. God's plan has always included all the nations. On the day of Pentecost, who's represented there? All the nations, including the Parthians. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, all those nations were there because God wanted the gospel to go forth. Can I tell you that I believe that God's, the arrival of his son came at a moment so perfect in history that all the trade routes were established. There was freedom to travel for tradesmen throughout the entire Roman Empire and that the gospel spread so fast, it was amazing. Think about this. By the year 100, there were 200,000 believers in the city of Rome. Gospel was going forth out over all the world. By the 4th century, when Augustine writes the city of God and he talks about the invasion of Rome by the Goths and uh, the people from northern Europe, it's very interesting. The Rubicon River froze and the Goths came across the river to invade Rome. What happened is when these people got into the city of Rome and they saw symbols that indicated a Christian lived in that home, they didn't destroy that home. Why? They had become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand God's plan and purpose? We look at what's happening geopolitically, we miss the spiritual dynamics. In our world right now, people are all dialed in on what's happening politically. There is a spiritual upheaval happening in the world today. And I believe we are on the cusp of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe we are going to see a harvest of the souls of men and women and children like we have not seen in our time. I believe we're going to see an awakening of God. I met with a group of uh, leaders this week and we talked about... Um, the Call. How many of you have heard of The Call with Lou Engel? And uh, Lou was there. He's just a totally unhinged wild man. Love him. <laughs> Loves Jesus. And uh, there were probably about 80 of us pastors and marketplace leaders. And we are working on getting either um, Progressive Field or uh, the Cavs, um, what do they call it now, the Q. And uh, so we're looking at a prayer meeting in the summer, the date right now is June 17th, but don't hold me to that. 
And there have been prophecies that God wants to release a sound. He wants to release the power of the spirit that will go throughout this state and throughout this land. And I, I signed up I, by faith. I said, our church wants to be part of it. Do you want to be part of that? Yes. I want to be part of it. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing. So King Herod, most of the theologians of Jesus' day, most of the important people missed it. Humble shepherds, kings from far away saw it. I don't want to miss what God's doing this Christmas, do you? I want my eyes to be open. I want to see what the Lord is up to. We also need to understand, I'll close with this, is that there are a lot of people around us that have no clue what's happening. They're discouraged. They're afraid about what's happening in our country. The uh, sowers of fear, the um, angry media is making people afraid right now. And more than ever, I think people are open to hear the good news. I'll tell you what I want us to do today. This is mostly a hometown crowd here. Can we pray that God would give us divine appointments over the Christmas season? I believe people's hearts are open more than ever before to hear. So can we stand together? And we're going to close this way. Maybe the Lord will even bring people to your mind, people that you do business with, people that where you shop. That's where I have some of my greatest divine appointments is going to places where I shop. Uh, Dinah was stalking me the other day. She saw me pull into Wendy's and she said something about you shouldn't eat there, you know, and I said, <laughs> thought to myself, should I be super spiritual and say, if I don't go to Wendy's, who's going to witness to the people that work there, right? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your plan at what you're doing. And I just pray, Lord, understanding a little bit more about the story today that we would understand how great, how amazing, how astounding your plan is. It doesn't fit under a Christmas tree. It's great to have the crash. It's great to have all because it reminds us. But Lord, your plan moves nations and moves kings and moves people. It does amazing things. And yet, Lord, as we look at that story, there are people that see you and then there are people that don't see you. First of all, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you are doing in this season, because I believe you're moving things in this season. It's, it's as amazing as it was in the days of your son. You are preparing for your son to return, and you are doing things, Lord, to prepare the hearts of people to come to know you. Lord, we want to cry out this morning because there are people that we work with, people that we live by. There are people around us, Lord. They have no idea what Christmas is about. They think it's a commercial holiday with Santa and elves. And uh, I'm sorry, Lord, but elves are kind of fun, but they're, they're inferior to angels. That's all there is to it, Lord. The real story is better. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the truth that you've given us. I pray that you would set divine appointments for us to touch the lives of people around us. Lord, even now, I pray that you would bring to mind people that you want us to reach out to. Give us the creativity to know what to do and how to be there. And lead our steps, Lord, I pray. Lord, let your glory be revealed in us that when people see us, they would know that we belong to you. Lord, we thank you so much. And I pray, Father, that what Donna shared with us last week about this Christmas not being the same, that we needed to shift into what you wanted to do. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us resist what the world wants to press on us and that we would press into your presence, your truth, and what you're saying. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.